so far in this series, as we've looked at the life of Joseph, we've seen how Joseph was faithful as a son. Um, there in Genesis 37, as he gave evil report of his brothers back to his dad. And again, I know that no one likes a tattler, uh, but still we see Joseph's faithfulness in that particular instance. Uh, we've seen him faithful as dad sent him out to go check on his brethren there in Shechem and how he was faithful to find them and even went the second mile, so to speak, actually 12 extra miles to Dotham or to Dothan to go find his brethren. And uh, he was just faithful in all these small things. Last Sunday night, we saw how he was faithful in his place, despite it not being the place of his choosing. Remember, he was sold by his brethren, and he ends up in a place called Egypt, uh, in, a, in a place that he wouldn't necessarily choose. But uh, he decided that he was going to be faithful in the place, albeit not a wonderful, enjoyable place. He was going to be faithful there anyway. And the encouragement there was... Uh, what place we find ourselves in to be faithful wherever we find ourselves. Uh, He was faithful then in his prosperity. In times when God began to bless his life, he was faithful in those times. And and as we looked at that, uh, one of the comments I made was I was more impressed, uh, perhaps even more impressed in his faithfulness and his prosperity than I was with his faithfulness in times of difficulty. Um, Because sometimes in the difficulty, it's easier to be faithful because you recognize and you're aware of your need for God. But when things are going well, then many times we're tempted to uh, think we don't need God near as much. Well, Joseph maintained his faithfulness in his prosperity. He maintained his faithfulness in times of power. Uh, He was given much here by Potiphar. He was given much authority, much responsibility, and he was faithful in all of those things. And uh, he didn't let this authority go to his head, but instead was faithful. But now tonight we're going to look at the part of his life when he faced difficult temptation. Psalm 118, verse 19, we read this verse in uh, our Bible time this week, and as I was reading it to our family, it kind of hit me that, and in, in light of this message, because um, I've been thinking about this message all week, and um, as I read this verse out loud to my family, I, it just hit me that it applied here. And Psalm 118, verse 19 says this, Open to me the gates of righteousness, I will go in uh, into them, and I will praise the Lord. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. How many of you have ever seen or have maybe played a version of this, the Let's Make a Deal? Uh, maybe you've seen that television show, and uh, it was back in the 70s and kind of reboot uh, here in the last uh, couple decades. Um, well, this let's make a deal, they usually have, you know, two options or three options. They'll say, you know, do you pick what's behind door number one or do you want door number two? And uh, there was always this big risk, you know, sometimes when you open door number, they pick door number two, let's say, and, and it's like a donkey and it's like, wah, 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 wah. Uh, well, when it comes to temptation, um, God always offers another door. God always offers another option, and He never puts us in a place where there is no way of escape. In fact, in uh, 
Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13, you may be thinking of this verse in your mind. It says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So he gives us another door. So yes, there's the door of temptation. And by the way, that's the one with all the lights on it. That's the one with all the... Uh, the music behind it and all, all the, you know, it's prettier and it's just more enticing. And then there's another door, though, that God gives us, a gate of righteousness. And uh, the question is, uh, are we willing to look for that way of escape, that, uh, that opportunity to honor the Lord and to do what's right? There was once an overweight uh, man who always stopped by the bakery on his way to work in the morning to pick up some goodies for the staff coffee break. Well, he finally de- decided that he was going to go on a diet, and he's had enough, and he's going to be a good boy now, and so he's going to go on a diet. Well, in order to avoid the temptation to eat these really uh, rich sweets, he began taking a different route to work so he didn't have to go by the bakery and be tempted. Smart move. Well, the entire office staff encouraged him as he dieted, dieted and said, man, we're for you. You know, let's, uh, let's, we're going we're to help you out. Well, one day, however, he had to do an errand in the neighborhood of the bakery on the way to work. Well, as he approached the bakery, he said to himself, you know, maybe, uh, maybe God wants me to stop by the bakery this morning and pick up some goodies for the office staff. So he prayed, Lord, if you want me to stop at the bakery this morning, then please make a parking spot available right in front of the bakery. So there's no question in my mind that, that it was you who provided uh, this parking spot. Well, sure enough, there it was, a parking spot, right in front of the bakery on his sixth trip around the block. <laughs> you see, he wasn't exactly looking for the way of escape. Uh, he was looking to fulfill the temptation that he had in his heart and in his life. Now, Joseph was faced with two doors, the door of temptation and the door of righteousness. And praise the Lord, he chose the door of righteousness. But not only did he face the temptation, of, uh, face temptation, but he overcame that temptation. He found the way of escape and took it. He found the gate of righteousness. And tonight I want to look at five truths about temptation from this particular story, from this particular event, and this, this passage together. Uh, I'm going to do my best to be very appropriate and delicate with this particular uh, story um, because I do know that there are young children in here, but um, I do want us to apply the, when we say temptation, certainly we understand, for those of us who are older, we understand what that temptation was for Joseph, but this applies to not just the temptation that Joseph faced here, but all temptation. Um, And so uh, tonight I want to notice, first of all, as we go through this, the reality of temptation. The reality of temptation. Verse number seven, you know, things were going well for Joseph. Uh, He was prospering. Uh, He was a prosperous man, and he was experiencing prosperity in in Potiphar's house. He was experiencing power. Joseph was given the authority over really everything, all matters, In the house, and uh, well, verse number seven says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph 
And this was an unhealthy, un, uh, inappropriate uh, a look that she gave to Joseph. And she said, lie with me. And so the reality was that Joseph, uh, even though he was experiencing great prosperity, even though things were going well, uh, now here comes a, a major test. If adversity wasn't going to get him, maybe temptation would. And so the devil throws this pretty strong temptation his way. Now the truth is that all of us will face temptation in our lives. It's unfortunately a fact of life. As I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, uh, a portion of that verse says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, all of us face temptation. It's, it's a common thing. It's something we all share in life is the fact that, look, we all face temptation. It's, it's, it's common. Jesus told Peter this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Uh, so he said, basically, look, Satan's going to be after you. Satan's going to tempt you. Well, Peter then later wrote this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the, de- the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Peter understood that, yes, the devil is after us, and he will use temptation in each of our lives. And so he encouraged us to be sober, to be vigilant, uh, to be alert and aware of what's going on around us, because temptation is happening. Paul told us to put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, The devil does throw those fiery darts our direction. And uh, we need to understand that this is, every temptation is the devil's attempt to try to knock us out. James said that every man faces temptation. He said every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. In fact, even Jesus Christ himself faced temptation. The writer of Hebrews said that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So every one of us has faced and will face temptation in our life. Temptation comes in all shapes and sizes. We, all, we have been tempted, some of us, to love this world. Some, we've been tempted to cheat. We've been tempted to steal, to lust after someone, to covet, to be lazy, We've been tempted to reject the Word of God, to disobey the Word of God, to rebel against authority, whether it be a human authority or God Himself. We've been tempted to gossip. We've been tempted to slander someone, to think lustfully. We've been tempted to cuss or use God's name in vain. We've been tempted to be selfish. We've been tempted to trust in our riches, to murmur or complain about our situation. We've been tempted to be jealous of others, to hate our brethren or sisters, to not give God the glory for the successes that come into our life. We've been tempted to be a glutton. We've been tempted to drink alcohol, I'm sure, to become uh, bitter, to not avoid the appearance of evil, to not fulfill our role in the home that God wants us to fulfill. God, uh, or, or we also have experienced a lot of other different temptations that I didn't just mention. Um, and by the way, what may be extremely tempting for you may not as be as tempting for me, and vice versa. You may be, you know, really tempted to cheat, and uh, whereas maybe I wouldn't be tempted to cheat as much. 
Um, reminder that temptation is not a sin. But when you give in to that temptation, that's when it becomes a sin. So it's not wrong to be tempted. All, like I said, all of us are going to be tempted. In fact, Jesus was tempted. But falling into the temptation and giving into that temptation is when it's sin. James 1.16 says this, Then when lust hath conceived, then it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So we see here the reality of temptation. It's a reality that we all need to understand that this is part of it. This is part of our Christian life, dealing with temptation. And so it's good for us to have a message like this so that we can be able to overcome temptation like Joseph did. And so I want us to see, secondly tonight, not only the reality of temptation, but the refusal of temptation. He refused in verse number 8. As this temptation came into his life, verse number 8 says, But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, in spite of the lies that I'm sure were being whispered to him, Joseph refused to come to the, to the temptation. What lies were being whispered to him? Well, I don't know for sure if these were, but these sure could have been, and these have been whispered in my ear in some instances. Uh, what about this lie? No one will ever know. See, Joseph, your family... They're so far away. They're way up in Hebron. You're down here in Egypt. No one even knows you're even alive. Why not experience a little bit of fun and pleasure? Why not? I mean, no one's going to know. Who cares? Have you been tempted or heard that whisper, heard that lie whispered to you? And maybe... You're like, well, I could do this and no one would ever know. I mean, I could delete my history. I can hide this from everybody. I can make sure that no one will ever know. Maybe you've heard that lie. What about this one? I don't really have a choice in the matter, do I? I mean, Potiphar, my boss, his wife is... Uh, trying to do something to me, and his wife is kind of connected to him, and so she's kind of my authority, too. And if I want to keep doing well in my job, I might as well. So I kind of don't have a choice. Uh, some of us have heard this when a boss tells us that we have to work on a Sunday. I don't really have a choice. The boss is telling me I have to do this. I guess I have to do it. I don't have a choice. Maybe friends are pressuring us to do wrong in order to fit in, to be cool, to be part of the group. I don't really have a choice because I don't want to lose my friends, so I really don't have a choice. Look, friend, you always have a choice. And Joseph decided he knew that he had a choice, and he chose to refuse. He chose to go against this temptation. And what about this lie that was whispered perhaps in his ear? It's only one time, Joseph. I mean, maybe one time and then she'll leave you alone and it'll be over. And 
we'll just forget about it. Now, had Joseph done that, his dreams that he had so many uh, verses before would have been dashed. Those dreams would not have come to pass if he would have given in one time. One time is too many. One time is too many. What about this one? You know, Joseph, it's not that bad. I mean, come on. You're living in Egypt. Like, everybody's doing it. It's not a big deal. It fits in with culture. It's not that bad, Joseph. I believe, I believe most men would have loved to have been in Joseph's sandals at that point. I would guess, and the Bible doesn't say this, but I would guess very much, strongly guess that uh, Mrs. Potiphar was a pretty attractive woman. I would guess that. And most men would have loved to have been in Joseph's sandals in that moment. You see, we as a culture have, unfortunately, normalized sin. Sin is normal. It's part of culture. I mean, if you're going to really fit in and, and be the who's who in, in your company or in your neighborhood and in the community, you're going to have to sin because sin has been normalized. John Butler, in his commentary on the life of Joseph, said this, The devil is a master at sophisticating sin and dignifying defilement. Uh, we watch television commercials and an alcohol commercial will come on. It, it's not, it doesn't show you uh, the people on the, you know, that are, their lives have been ruined, their lives are in shambles because of alcohol. It, it shows them at a party and, and having fun and enjoying it. You see, the devil's the master at making sin look good and look attractive. He's good at that. In the uh, sitcoms of our day, um, it's very common for an immoral relationship to be uh, glamorized and in the movies and in all that stuff. It's glamorized and it's uh, just normalized. And so... That whisper, that lie that was whispered perhaps in Joseph's ears, it's not that bad. I mean, come on. Everybody's doing it, Joseph. Why couldn't you? In spite of all those lies that I'm sure were being whispered to him, Joseph still refused. How did he refuse that? Why did he refuse that? Well, first of all, he had social loyalty. He had social loyalty. Verse number 8, Behold, my master wotteth not. You know what he was thinking about when he was uh, dealing with this and faced with this temptation? He was thinking about the loyalty he had to his boss. He understood that sin doesn't just affect him. Sin affects others as well. And he didn't want to hurt the relationship that he had with his boss, with Potiphar. He said, I can't do this against my my boss. He had social loyalty. Friend, I want to remind us this evening that sin doesn't just affect us. It also affects other people. Remember Jonah in his sin against the Lord when he disobeyed God? 
God clearly uh, made it very abundantly clear to Jonah that, hey, you're supposed to go to Nineveh and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up against me. He made it very clear. Well, Jonah didn't really, he wasn't interested in obeying God in that moment. He didn't like the Ninevites. He wanted judgment to be upon them. And so he decided to disobey and go the opposite direction all the way to Tarshish. Well, you know the story how he gets in that boat and the, and the Lord brings a great storm on the way to Tarshish. And everybody's crying out to their gods and everybody's uh, panicking. And uh, come to pass that uh, it was Jonah's fault. But all those people were affected because of his sin. All those men in the boat were innocent bystanders. And you know, we need to think about that when we're tempted to sin. That look, when I fall into this temptation, who's that going to impact? And I'm telling you, it's going to impact others. You're not the exception. You cannot outsmart God. Temptation or falling into temptation and sin affects others. Well, he first of all had social loyalty, and then he also had spiritual loyalty. In the end of verse number 9, it says, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, more important than the social loyalty was his spiritual loyalty to God. His relationship with the Lord was more important than a moment of pleasure. And I want to encourage us to think that when we are faced with temptation. Lord, is, just, just think, is it worth not being right with God for this moment of pleasure? Joseph decided that, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I don't want to sin against my Lord, the God who loves me and the God that I love. I don't want to break the fellowship. Now, praise the Lord that, that no sin after we become a Christian will uh, break our re- relationship, but it will break our fellowship. Well, Joseph had spiritual loyalty. But then I want us to see not only the refusal of temptation, but number three, I want us to see here the, reputation, the repetition of temptation. You say he refused in verses 8 and 9. So all was well, Right? Well, unfortunately, we have verse number 10. <laughs> it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. You see, he continued to be the onslaught of temptation was not over the first time he said no. Jesus experienced temptation as well. In the wilderness, Jesus was tempted not once, Not twice, but how many times? Three times. But then in Luke chapter number 4, in verse number 13, after Jesus was tempted there in the wilderness, here's what Luke, Luke records. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. You see... After Jesus was tempted there in the wilderness and he refused those three different temptations, it wasn't like, hey, it was all over. Uh, No, the devil kept coming back and kept coming back. And we don't know all the the times and the ways that that happened. Certainly, you you can sense some of it there in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
as he was uh, facing the cross. And, and, I, and I would imagine that that was a time of temptation there as well. See, temptation does not go away forever after you say no the first time. It comes back, and it will keep coming back until we get to glory. So day by day, Joseph refused, and day by day, Mrs. Potiphar kept coming back. So understand that temptation will be part of our Christian lives until we get to heaven. Don't think that temptation will go away when you get older, or get married, or have children, or become wealthy, or reach some type of milestone in this life. The devil is not going to give up on his mission to distract, to discourage, and to destroy us from being effective witnesses for Christ. He's going to keep repeating the temptation. And it may be the same temptation, or it may be a different one, but he's going to keep the temptations coming. So be ready for that. I want us to see, fourthly, this evening, the resources for temptation. How can we overcome these temptations? Well, we can overcome them with the resource. And, and by the way, you know we're not we're not in a we're not in a physical battle, so we can't really get the we can't really get a physical sword and fight off this enemy. This enemy requires a spiritual warfare because it's a spiritual enemy. Well, what's the first resource? First of all, we see Scripture is the first resource, and and it's not found in this passage, but it is found in other places in the Word of God regarding the importance of Scripture in fighting off temptation. Ephesians 6 and verse number 17, as part of the whole armor of God, one of the things that Paul says is to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So this is our weapon that God wants us to use to face off uh, and to... uh, Um, overcome temptation is to use the Word of God. And when we do, we're in good company because guess what? Jesus, this is the uh, weapon of choice that he used when he was tempted in the wilderness. Because each of the three temptations that the devil gave him there, the way that Jesus overcame those temptations was to say, it is written, and then quoted verses of Scripture, Old Testament Verses that dealt with that particular temptation. So if it was good enough for Jesus, friend, it should be good enough for us too. Uh, The Word of God is sufficient. And this is something that the devil uh, cannot fight against. You say, well, no, I'm I'm just Mr. Discipline. I'm just gonna, I'm just, I just will my way through the temptation. Good luck with that. Use the word of God because he's not able to fight against it. The psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So getting the word of God in our heart is important. It's not just, uh, the memorizing scripture for the Christian is not just a nicety. It's really a necessity if we're going to have victory over temptation. It's not just, uh, well, let's just see if we can memorize this verse. No, it's, I need to get ammunition. How many have ever done like paintball or anything like that? Okay, I've done paintball before a few times. Um, the worst thing about paintball is running out of ammunition. Because when you do that, you're a dead duck. I mean, you just got to kind of hide and hope that no one sees you. Well, look at friends. 
Every verse that you and I put into our heart and memorize is ammunition that we're able then to use when the temptation comes. But I'm telling you, those of us who don't have the Word of God in our hearts, temptation comes and we're a sitting duck. We're like, uh, just don't shoot me too bad. You have no recourse. Memorizing Scripture is so very important. Psalm 37 and verse 31. Psalmist said, The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Those of us who've been saved for a while have heard the, the, the phrase or the word backslide. You know, one way to avoid backsliding is to put the word of God in our heart. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. So if I want to avoid backsliding, if I want to avoid uh, turning from God, one way to make sure that happens is to get the word of God in our heart. So the resources for temptation is, first of all, the scriptures, but then also prayer. You say, man, this is so basic. I could have preached this message. Yeah, you know, the thing is, sometimes it's the basic things, though, that we forget to do. Prayer, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41, Jesus said, to the three disciples that he asked to go with them to the Garden of Gethsemane to watch and pray. Here's what he said, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer. Matthew 6.13, as part of the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer that some people refer to, as part of that, Jesus said, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he said, when you pray, pray this. Well, one great thing to pray in our prayers is to pray that God would lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. So praying when we go through our prayer list in the mornings or whenever we do to say, Lord, please help me not to succumb to temptation today because I know it's going to come in some way, shape, or form. I know I'm going to be tempted to do something Lord, please, would you uh, lead me into righteousness and, and help me to find the way of escape and not just fall into temptation like I do a lot. As part of prayer, I would also say this. Don't make provisions for the flesh. Uh, don't, uh, don't plan on committing sin. Romans 13, 14 Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Some people fall into temptation, but a great many make plans for disaster ahead of time. Son ordered a father, don't swim in that canal. Okay, Dad, he answered, but he came home carrying a wet bathing suit that evening. Where have you been, demanded the father. Swimming in the canal, answered the boy. Didn't I tell you not to swim there, asked the father. Yes, sir, answered the boy. Well, why did you, he asked. Well, dad, he explained, I, I had my bathing suit with me and I couldn't resist the temptation. Well, why did you take your bathing suit with you, he questioned. Well, so I'd be prepared to swim in case I was tempted, <laughs> he replied. 
you see, this is how some Christians go into spiritual warfare. They're kind of like planning on just committing sin. And why not? Because sin is pleasurable, uh, obviously for a season. I want us to see here, uh, number five, the result of temptation. What happened because of this temptation in Joseph's life? Well, verse number 13. Well, let me pick it up in verse number 11. I'm sorry. Came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. There was none of them, none of the men of the house there within. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Well, it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house, and she spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. She kind of placed the blame on her own husband. There's a lot of lessons in here in the marriage between Potiphar and Mrs. Potiphar here that uh, uh, is interesting to uh, consider. Uh, She ends up blaming him for bringing Joseph into the house. Uh, and then uh, he came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. It came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried. He left his garment with me and fled and got him out. She laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. She spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. It came to pass as I lifted up my voice, cried that he left his garment with me, fled out, came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. Uh, Yeah, I would say so. Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. So, (laughs) he did what was right, and all went well. All worked out because he obeyed the Lord, right? (laughs) Ultimately, yes, but not at first, at least at first glance. You know, the truth is it was better for Joseph to be lied about and to be cast into prison than for life to continue as it was with a guilty conscience. I know that he didn't love to be in prison, but at least he had a clear conscience. Someone once correctly said that there is no softer pillow than a clean and clear conscience. When you could pillow your head at night knowing that you were indeed right with God and that you did right that day, nothing beats that. Solomon said the way of transgressors is hard. Why? Well, because yes, you get the pleasure of sin, but then that very brief season of that pleasure ends and the long, hard season of guilt, regret, scars, and consequence begins. The way of transgressors is hard because they are constantly looking over their shoulder to be sure that no one saw or that no one finds out and trying to cover their tracks. Always hoping that your parents never find out. Always wondering if your spouse knows what you did and what you looked at. Look, this is not the way of peace. It's a hard road. It's a difficult road. The way of transgressors is hard. And the Bible still says, be sure your sin will find you out. 
You and I are not the exception. We cannot outsmart God. And Joseph understood that, and he decided that he was going to refrain, and he said, you know what, I'm going to flee from this temptation. Paul told uh, young Timothy, as he was trying to give him ministry advice and advice for the Christian life, he said, uh, flee youthful lusts. And Joseph did exactly that. He left his coat, but he kept his character. And uh, praise the Lord for the decision that he made. And we'll talk about what it means to be in prison when you didn't deserve to be there next time. But for tonight, just understand that Joseph was willing to refuse temptation, even if it meant his life would be radically changed. How, how much are you willing to refuse temptation? Harry Houdini, the famous escape artist, issued a challenge wherever he went. Here's the challenge that he put forth. He said, I can be locked up in any jail cell in the country, he claimed, and set himself free quickly and easily. No problem. Put me in any jail and I can escape like that. And always he kept his promise. Except for one time, something went wrong. Houdini entered the jail in his street clothes, and the heavy metal doors clanged shut behind him. He took from his belt a concealed piece of metal. It was strong and flexible. He set to work immediately, but something seemed to be very unusual about this lock. And for 30 minutes, he worked and got nowhere. An hour passed, and still he had not opened this door. By now, he was bathed in sweat and panting in exasperation, but he still could not pick that lock. Finally, after laboring for two hours, Harry Houdini collapsed in frustration and failure against the door he could not unlock. But when he fell against the door, it swung open. It had never been locked at all. But in his mind it was locked, and, and it was all it took to keep him from opening the door and walking out of the jail cell. Friend, here's the point for all of us. When you and I face a temptation, instead of trying to do all these mind tricks to get you out of it, God has made it very simple. He's made a way of escape. And He's given us His Word and He's given us the uh, resource of prayer to deliver us from those uh, times of temptation. Let's not try to overthink it. Let's try to use the Scriptures and decide that we're going to have social loyalty, that I don't want to hurt others around me by committing this sin. I also don't want to hurt my relationship with God by committing this sin. There's a lot of Christians who are stuck in their prison cell, not realizing that God has made a way of escape. He's opened the gate of righteousness, but we're not willing to walk through it. I want to encourage you tonight as you face temptation to walk through the gate of righteousness. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 118. Well, let's pray together tonight and we'll be dismissed here in a moment. Lord, thank you for...